Hi, I'm Jim Stroud, and this is my podcast. Recently, someone brought to my attention this app called True Public. It's a polling app that tracks public opinion. One of the polling statements was um, racism is still common in the American workplace. And you, as a true public user, have the choice to agree or disagree with that statement. Uh, I thought the results, I thought the results were, were interesting. Um, out of the 1,201 votes, uh, 84% of Democrats uh, strongly agreed that racism was common in the workplace, whereas 62% of Republicans did not. Independents were in the middle at 75%. Now, for those who were Hispanic or Asian who took that poll, uh, the view was that 80 percent agreed uh, and uh, blacks strongly agreed at 86 percent and with whites agreeing at 71 percent. And there were other breakdowns available too, like generations and so forth. Uh, To see them all, go to JimStroud.com or download the True Public app and look for the poll. Racism is still common in the American workplace. And you'll, you'll see it there. But um. I digress. I digress. Why do so many people feel that racism abounds in their workplace? Is it really that common? I didn't think so because it hasn't been my experience. Then I I looked around and oh boy, not only does racism exist in some workplaces, I predict that it would only get worse in the years to come. Stay tuned to find out why I think that. Entrepreneur Kylie Jenner makes an estimated $1 million per sponsored post on her Instagram, which makes her the highest paid celebrity influencer on the social media platform, according to the 2018 Instagram Rich List compiled by Hopper HQ and Automated Instagram Scheduler. Jenner is followed by singer Selena Gomez, who gets $800,000 per sponsored post, and star soccer player Cristiano Ronaldo, who earns $750,000. Together, these and other up-and-coming stars contribute to the $1 billion influencer market, which is expected to double in value this year. Now, all that is great until there is an Instagram bug and you lose over a million followers, which happened to Kim Kardashian, Justin Bieber, and several others. If it could happen to them, it could most definitely happen to you. The moral of the story? Don't build your house on rented land. I suggest you do what I did and get your own mobile app with Superpass. Superpass makes cutting-edge content apps easy, instant, and affordable. So whether you already have content or are looking to start making money by selling your podcasts or videos online, Superpass can help. So sure, Build up an audience on social media, but drive the traffic to a property you own, and that property should be Superpass. For more information, visit Superpass at www.superpass.app. That's www.supapass.app. Superpass.app. And be sure to tell them Jim Strauss sent you. Okay, for those who don't know about the EEOC, uh, here is an overview of what they do straight from their website. Quote, the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, a.k.a. EEOC, 
is responsible for enforcing federal laws that make it illegal to discriminate against a job applicant or an employee because of the person's race, color, religion, sex, uh, national origin, age, disability, or genetic information. It is also illegal to discriminate against a person uh, because the person complained about discrimination, filed a charge of discrimination, or participated in an employment discrimination investigation or lawsuit. Most employers of at least 15 employees are covered by EEOC laws. Most labor unions and employment agencies are also covered. The laws apply to all types of work situations, including hiring, firing, promotions, harassment, training, wages, and benefits, end quote. Now, among other things, the EEOC tracks how many cases of discrimination they process per year per state. Now, I was kind of curious, so I looked and I saw that the top three were Pennsylvania, uh, which had 4,463 cases filed uh, last year. Uh, Texas had 7,482. Florida, 6,617. Those are the top three uh, states in terms of discrimination cases processed by the EEOC. Now, uh, I want to share with you now a few cases related to uh, racism in the workplace that you might not have heard about in the news. And as with every story I cite, links to everything are in the show notes, which can be found at jimstroud.com. The blog Career Addict reports on J.P. Morgan Chase. Here's a quote. Amidst ongoing allegations of a lack of diversity on Wall Street, high-profile investment bank J.P. Morgan Chase settled out of court for $19.5 million with six of its employees last year, citing its commitment to ensuring a diverse and inclusive environment as its reason for avoiding litigation. The six employees in question, located at J.P. Morgan Chase branches across the U.S., claim that they were relocated by the bank to less lucrative branches than their white counterparts, thereby denying them numerous career and growth opportunities. As part of the settlement, an additional $4.5 million will be set aside to fund anti-discrimination training, recruitment drives, and coaching programs for black employees. Uh, Now, I learned this from Campus Safety Magazine. Uh, There was a report that said a federal court in Virginia had entered a $200,000 judgment against Old Dominion University in favor of Brett Berkmeyer, who was a white former police officer in the predominantly black uh, Old Dominion University Police Department. Now, he sued ODU, claiming he was fired because he was white and because he complained to officials that he and other white employees at the police department were being subjected to race discrimination. Interesting. Ah, and this case, this case, uh, EEOC versus Hamilton Growers, I found out about on the Expert HR blog. Here's a quote. Hamilton Growers, uh, doing business as Southern Valley Fruit and Vegetable, or Southern Valley, agreed to pay $500,000 to settle a claim of racial bias brought by the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Uh, Now, the EEOC alleged that Southern Valley violated Title VIII by terminating almost all American workers while retaining most of its workers from Mexico. Hmm. The EEOC also claimed that American workers were provided with 
lesser job opportunities, subjected to different terms and conditions of employment, such as delayed starting times and early stop times, or denied the opportunity to work at all, while Mexican workers were permitted to continue working. In addition to the monetary settlement, Southern Valley agreed to exercise good faith and implement non-discriminatory hiring practices by recruiting and retaining qualified American workers and African-American workers for all farm work positions. When I look for examples of judgments awarded as a result of EEOC litigation and or related lawsuits, I wanted to find a pattern. I wanted to gauge if racism in the workplace was an actual thing or if it was something that disgruntled employees uh, claimed. After all, just because people file a case against an employer for discrimination doesn't necessarily mean that it's so, especially in the light of the political and cultural divide that seems to be growing uh, these days in America. So imagine my delight and subsequent disappointment when I stumbled across this book called Rights on Trial, How Workplace Discrimination Perpetuates Inequality. Now, here is a quote from the Huffington Post from where I learned about that book I mentioned. Quote, The authors of the new book, Rights on Trial, How Workplace Discrimination Perpetuates Inequality, examined nearly 2,000 cases filed between 1988 and 2003 across the United States. The three authors interviewed more than 100 plaintiffs, defendants, lawyers, and involved parties to find that the workplace often is not fair in cases of discrimination. The success rate for cases of discrimination filed is dismal. Only 2% of plaintiffs win at trial. That is, after 19% of the cases were dismissed, half or 50% have early settlements, 18% of the cases are lost on summary judgment, and 8% of the cases have a late settlement. To promote the book, the authors posted audio of some of the people they interviewed for the book. Here are some clips. So we worked in this big computer, like a lab, computers and every day you know we would run maintain these computers like 24 hours seven days a week and they had like a main console uh-huh and these guys that were like our supervisors you know you'd come in and they might almost like on the board they'd have a picture of a black man eating like ribs and he'd have like all type of sauce on his face you know and they would just all time say stuff like the kkk and just it, to me it was like a poison environment the emotion is on the plaintiff's side of the equation in these cases. I always, another favorite expression of mine is that employment law is the family law of business law. Mm. And what I mean by that is people spend so much time in their jobs in America today and I associate themselves so much with what they do, particularly if you're talking about a termination event. If you terminate somebody's employment, You've not just taken away their livelihood, their ability to pay their mortgage, send their kids to school, put food on the table. Forget all those issues. More important than that almost is what it does to their psychological makeup. You've taken away what they are. When you when you go, if we walk down to this bar restaurant, you know, down across the street, and I met you standing on the bar sitting on the bar stool and we talked within about two minutes. Either you would ask me or I would ask you, so what do you do? Mm-hmm. Why is that? Because we identify ourselves with our jobs. And so when you get terminated from a position, you've lost a part of your identity. 
That's what fuels a lot of this employment litigation. People, it, it is a, it's an emotional reaction, mm-hmm. and there's no other catharsis for it really. So it has to go somewhere. Most of the people that bring complaints in here, I'm saying three or four or five percent of the workforce. We're not talking about the smartest, uh, you know, nails in the box or anything. Mm-hmm. These are folks that um, sometimes they have attitude and/or conduct and/or behavioral problems. Sometimes they uh, they mix discrimination and stuff. They try and mask their performance issues and that kind of stuff. I mean, I understand all that because I've seen a lot of it. Um, but I mean, just getting at the issues, me, it's you know, show me a prima facie case. Show me you met the legal threshold. If they don't understand that, when they first come in, my job and my staff job, explain to them what it is. Explain to them what their burden is when they come in here. Because I don't want to. I don't want them leaving here not understanding that they have met their burden. In the future, I think there will be more racism in the office because at its core, racism is the result of ignorance. I don't know you personally, so I rely on stereotypes and groupthink to form my opinion of you rather than identify you as a unique person. People do it all the time, which is why racism still persists. The changing demographics of America will surely exacerbate some of that. Uh, Do a search on DuckDuckGo or Bing or Google uh, for the phrase, the browning of America, for more insight into what I mean. As more and more people enter the workforce from diverse backgrounds that you do not know, understand, or want to understand, the more racism will persist to varying degrees. Now, add to that, add to that more women in leadership positions competing against men, and that increases the likelihood of gender discrimination and reverse gender discrimination. As minorities increase in the population, more cases of reverse discrimination will also likely occur. Now, I don't think that's a race thing or a gender thing for that matter. I think it's a human thing. No race or special group is without sin, in my opinion. Just put that group, uh, any group, (laughs) in power and watch them eventually take advantage of those with lesser influence. Now, one of my heroes, the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., famously said this. My poor little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream On one hand, my country still has some work to do before Reverend King's dream is fully realized. Yet, on the other hand, we have come a mighty long way. So much so that I refuse to believe that America is an inherently racist country. And I'm not the only one who thinks that way. Listen to how this African-American radio personality, Larry Elder, responds to the question, is America racist? Is racism still a major problem in America? President Barack Obama certainly thinks so. He said that racism is in our DNA. Really? If racism is in our DNA, doesn't that mean it's immutable, unchangeable, but America has changed, and dramatically so. In 1960, 60% of Americans said they would never vote for a black president. Almost 50 years later, the black man who said racism is in America's DNA was elected president, and four years later, re-elected. That's only the most obvious example of racial progress. There are many others. Take interracial marriage. As William H. Fry of the Brookings Institution wrote, sociologists have traditionally viewed multiracial marriage as a benchmark for the ultimate stage of assimilation of a particular group into society. Black-white marriages were still illegal in 16 states until 1967, and a 1958 Gallup poll found 
that only 4% of Americans approved of black-white marriages. Today, that number is 87%. In 1960, of all marriages by blacks, only 1.7% were black-white. Today, it's 12% and rising. Like everything else in my podcast, you can find a link to the full version of Is America Racist by Larry Elder in my show notes, which are posted on jimstroud.com. Please check them out. And if you have not already, please rate my podcast on Apple Podcasts and or on your favorite podcast platform. I would so very much appreciate that. If you love what you heard, hate what you heard, or don't know what you just heard, I want to know about it. You can leave a comment concerning this podcast on my website at www.jimstroud.com. In addition to finding source material and related information for this podcast episode, you'll find other goodies that I hope will make you smile. And if you have not already, please subscribe to my website. Your continued support keeps this podcast train chugging down the track. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food, so come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.